0: We continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screen above. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who did not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but rejects God, the very God who gave you his Holy Spirit, the Word of God. I forgot my Bible. Well, she.
1: Okay, now i got to talk about sex, and uh, <laughs> you just walk away. You said you would help me. I Come
2: on. need my Bible.
1: Yeah, all right. That's important, yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So that um, we are... If this is a surprise that, you know, you came to church this morning, and you... Just thought, well, see what's going on, and you didn't know that this was our topic. This is this is every week we're going to say this, this is week three in this series, and this is that gracious moment where feel free to to leave and uh, if whatever, how, for whatever reasons, but we are going to be talking about sex, and I'm so glad to have um, my partner in ministry here, Sharon, and um, I want to uh, go back uh, to the first two weeks of this series and. The idea is that God has given us a vision, not a rule book, and that the rules that are there are meant to protect the vision that is there so here 's my analogy. this is a so who 's that you uh-huh. know and you guys know right yeah van Gogh, starry, starry night um, and can you if I were to take this i 'm not going to open it I, I told patty i'd if she, if I lose a piece of this puzzle, I'm sleeping on the couch, is what she said. So there you go. So I'm going to just leave it sealed up. But if I were to hand out four or five pieces to each one of you, and you didn't know what it was, you hadn't seen this, and then I said, okay, let's as quickly as we can, we're going to put this puzzle together, whatever it looks like. How would that go? I mean, you, yeah, you, you need to see the vision for the pieces. And if you start with the pieces and you have no vision for how it looks, you're going to get in big trouble. So that's why we have started this series um, with the, the vision that God gives us. So, real briefly... We, we sense in Scripture that this is a, what I would call a sacrament, sex. I mean, sex is a sacrament, meaning that it's not all about it, the thing itself. It points to something greater. It's a metaphor for something bigger. And what it points to, so if this is, you know, if it was a puzzle, we wouldn't have, the picture would not be sex. It would be sex pointing to something and we have that vision in both in the first book of the bible and the last book of the bible of this intimacy yearning in our hearts for community that only god can satisfy and that that vision that we have of god the marriage of god and his people that's what we see at the end of the bible uh, sexuality points towards that, whether it's in the exclusive sexuality of the marriage relationship or it's within the celibacy of a single person. Both of those point. They're sacramentally pointing to the kingdom of God that is coming. Now, if you, if you don't get that, you're going to miss all the, why the rules are there. And um, we do have a bunch of pieces in our lives that we have to figure out where they fit so get us started
2: yes uh, life doesn't always happen it doesn't always come together in a beautiful way and pieces can be fragmented and broken you and i know that in our culture we've seen this happen 2017 the me too movement exploded across the internet I read that within 24 hours of the first posting on October 2017, there were more than 4.7 million women who had added their voice to this thread, men as well. For many, it was the very first time they'd publicly said that something was broken in my life. They declared their painful experience, and in the aftermath, dozens of men, men in power, were brought down by charges of sexual harassment, men from all different walks of life. Since that time, in October 12, 2017, the voices continue, and many others, including women, have been held accountable for their sexual aggression and their exploitation of others. I read a statistic on the National Sexual Assault Hotline that every 98 seconds another person experiences sexual assault. Most of these are under 30. This grievous sin is part of our culture, and we want to look today at what God says about it. One of the statistics Pastor Mark and I read and heard is that 80% of women... And 40% of men have experienced some form of sexual assault or harassment. That's most of us. That's those of us sitting in this room and those you meet during the week. It's in the Christian world, too. People as um, well-known as Beth Moore and Max Licato have come forth and said, I was abused. This is me, too. And so in the reality of this, people's lives that are shattered and scattered, we need to look to the vision of God in Scripture. And so today we're going to put this reality in the light of the passage of Scripture we just talked about, in that context. We recognize we're on sensitive and dangerous ground, that things we say might wound you, might hurt, might bring things to the surface that are hard to bring to the surface. We trust the grace of God and the truth of Jesus Mm -hmm. to meet you in this. We also want you to know at the end of this time, we're going to talk about some healing options that will be available for any of us, all of us, who've been sexually broken. Next week, in fact, you're going to hear a sermon from a couple a, not a couple from our church, but a couple that's going to come and share their journey of being impacted by pornography and how God brought healing to their marriage. So this is a point of healing and hope, and we trust God will let that fall on your ears in that way. So here's our our context for this morning. We're going to be taking a look, first of all, at this passage that we read from 1 Thessalonians. How do we walk with Jesus? Then that verse 6 what does it mean to, that no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister? And then, verse 5, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Let
1: me take that, um, that first one and walking under the authority of Jesus and give you just a clue as to the first century setting into which this letter from the Apostle Paul comes into a city called Thessalonica, which is on the, uh, uh, whatever that sea is there, I, can't, I can see it in my mind, but I think it's the Adriatic, Aegean. Aegean, right? Aegean, okay, one of those, starts with an A, how's that? And um, so in this place, in Thessalonica, uh, in Greece, in the first century, there, there wasn't, um, if you were part of a, a relig- there were lots of religions, and Paul mentions pagans here, and we'll come to that later on. But they were, they were basically pagan religions where you, you choose your god, many gods, many things with um, no connection. This is the part that I want you to hear there was no connection between sexual purity and the religion that you were part of. They just the only exception to that was the Jewish religion, which from which Christian the Christian gospel and message comes. But you, so here's an example: if if to, to be in a particular religion, you would oftentimes go to a temple, and there would be temple prostitutes there, and you would worship your god through. Seeing a prostitute. Now that sounds so strange. Does that? That should sound strange to you folks. If that doesn't sound strange, you're in the wrong place. Oh, or maybe you're in the right place because that's not who we are and there is something better. So, this, this strange li- or link uh, between spirituality and sexuality uh, was part of their experience. But there was no sense of sexual purity that Paul is appealing to here. They had very loose attitudes towards uh, sex. And so Paul is writing this letter to straighten them out, and he's pulling no punches. This is very animated. This is Paul. uh, I, I don't know if you heard it, when it was read the first time. So I'm just going to read some of the uh, phrases that he uses here to get his point across. He says in in verse 2, I urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more. And I do this by the authority of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not my opinion. This is from Jesus. the, the, The Lord of life, the source of life. And then he says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will. There's no doubt about it in Paul's mind. And they're living in this culture where sexual immorality is just the norm. Well, the first century people in that city may have wondered about some of the things that we do today as well. I mean, you know, so we have our, our things. But it's the same message that comes to us. And at the end, he says, if you reject this message, you're not rejecting this message, you're rejecting God. I mean, he, there's no, I don't think Paul could have said this any stronger or more clearly. <laughs> that if you... Sin with sexual immorality. I mean, if that's your intent in life, you're you're rejecting God. You're rejecting Jesus Christ. Don't, I mean, don't even think about it. It's so clear. (sighs) So, there's Paul, and we have to sort that out. Now, the Word of God comes to every culture, and it just crosses it. It slices it. It dices it. It cross-sections it. It exposes it. And it could have been on sex, it could be on money, and we have all of our issues today. The Word of God is that which comes and gives us a better way. It also comes into our hearts. It does that in our hearts as well. And so the question that we have as disciples of Jesus is, am am I going to wall off or cut off is is sexuality so personal and private to me that I'm going to wall it off from the word of God and here's the deal the word of God that not only convicts and tells us when we're off course but it also brings healing so it does both of those things and you may experience uh, some measure of one of those things today but they go together
2: so when we take this authority of Jesus seriously it does influence our sexual behavior. We're inviting him to come in and speak to it. God's gift of sexuality is holy and good, enjoyable. But there are so many ways we can rob ourselves and others of this gift, of its beauty that God intended. And so we take a look at verse 6 now, especially. In light of all this, Paul writes, in this manner, as he's talking about Living a moral life, not living in immorality. He says, in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. He reminds us, Paul does, that there's a holiness, there's a set-apartness to us as followers of Jesus. That we are sanctified, made holy. And if we walk in that, he's calling us, do not wrong another in a sexual way. Respecting Honoring others. Never taking advantage of someone sexually. Another translation I read said it this way. No one should violate the rights of another brother or sister. And we know that as the statistics I quoted earlier. That this happens rampantly in our world. And we recognize it's happened to many of you. That you have been wronged or taken advantage of. It's never right. Sexual exploitation of another hurt person harms both, but especially Mm -hmm. the one who's been taken advantage of, the victim. And so, Mark, you have a story that relates to this.
1: You know, I'm just going on the assumption that most of us have stories here. And so... In my family of origin, there were four of us kids. And uh, I know both of my sisters were, um, in some measure, sexually assaulted or harassed. And I was. And I'm going to tell that story. And I have a brother, and I don't know his deal. So three out of four of us, Mm. which is kind of like right in line with statistics there. um, So when I was, this is 40-plus years ago now, and I was... um, uh, well, I was younger than, younger than young Mark. Let's put it that way. And um, in 1973, I was hitchhiking across Europe by myself. And um, in southern England, which is where I, I flew to London and it started, and I was hitchhiking down southern England, and um, a man picked me up in his car, and it turns out that he was an Episcopal priest. And I had grown up Episcopalian. Now, at that point in my life, not so much. I mean, I more of a, an, an, I've told my story before, I was more of an atheist in my college years, but still, we had that connection. And then not only that, he, he lived, or he, he was from a place, and I won't give all too much away here, but it was about 30 miles from where I grew up. And so, you know, we just kind of hit it off in, in that way that as hitchhikers. Yeah. Well, anyway, I did, I did a lot of hitchhiking in those days, so it was good. And then um, he asked if I would like to have dinner, and then... Uh, asked if I would want to share a hotel room, and i, I did um, say yes to that and then and in, in this is the part and I, by the way i 've never shared this publicly before i 've only shared it with a few folks that um, but it 's amazing you know forty years' will help it's a lot you know <laughs> but uh, in the in the middle of the night, I wake up and he's he 's fondling my private parts and um, and it was weird, but I want to try to uh, I, I, you know, can I just share what I felt yeah, and I mean it. how i the awkwardness of it and remember this guy had some measure of power and authority. I was roughly twenty, he was in his 40s he was a priest, I was a wandering soul uh, there in Europe, and he had obviously set this thing up. I was kind of blindsided, but uh, maybe I should have known better, but Uh, There you go. I'm sure when I say that, you may identify with that if you are also a victim. I felt anger at this and uh, some confusion that lasted a while. And I think what I can ultimately say is it's made me more sensitive to people who have been in that place. And um, by the way, this was all before I came to Christ and uh, a few years later and, and... he helped me make whole, that whole story whole. I mean, I felt a measure of healing in that as well. But I could share more on that. And if some of you have similar stories, and I mean, I could go deeper. Uh, I don't feel quite so comfortable doing all of that right now, but um, there you go.
2: You know, sexual brokenness impacts all of us and many of us in ways, as Tester Mark shared, both men and women. So so many of the statistics we hear, though, both from the Me Too stories and as we shared earlier, is that more women than men have experienced abuse. And why is this? Why is this still happening in our culture? I just want to share a few possibilities that that address this epidemic in our culture This 80% women, 40% men statistic. One of the things that is part of this is men and women are wired differently. And so we sin differently as well. None of us are free of sexual sin, but men and women tend to work it out, sin in a different way. Men and women um, often come towards sexual intimacy with different perspectives. Perspectives. Different goals. And I know this is a generalization and I, it, it goes across the spectrum, but this quote from um, Jonathan Grant, who wrote Divine Sex, describes it well. An age old bargain allowed men and women to trade sexual intimacy for different goals. Men primarily to satiate sexual desire, and women to secure relational intimacy and commitment. This difference in the way we're wired affects the way we misuse our sexuality as well. And so men who are wired differently sin in different ways. Women sin differently as well. Another aspect of this Statistic is that men generally are physically stronger and have been over the generations. Peter, in one of his Gospels, writes about women as the weaker vessels. Not that they're less than. It just has to do with physical um, strength. And men have often used their strength to dominate rather than to serve. You know, most of us women are aware of this dynamic. If you ask a woman, what do you have to do to stay safe? She has a whole list of things. Carry your keys always. Make sure you park in a nice place. Carry pepper spray. There's a long list of things, we as women. Men don't think that way, usually, as often. That's just the dynamics that have been there in our world. And yet, and yet, both men and women are capable of sinning and using another, taking advantage of another in a different way, oversubmitting to the will of another, or abusing another person. Mary Stewart Van Leeuwen says this in this way, While men may be more prone to the sins of assertiveness, and I would use the words domination there. Assertiveness sounds positive. <laughs> if it's a sin, it's probably not just assertiveness. It's domination. And women, to those of passivity, this isn't all women of course, but some kind of collusion with male domination or over-submitting. If these are the sins that we're prone to, we have to remember we're all quite capable of the full range of character distortion. And so as we talk about these statistics where women are more affected than men, we recognize not in a way to slam men or to elevate women, but to recognize there's a brokenness in our world and it affects each one of us. And unfortunately, women have been more apt to this, this aggression of sexual assault. We're all prone to sin. We're all capable of taking advantage of another. But unfortunately, women have suffered much of that. Some of the culture also speaks into this. And many of you know that we've grown up across the centuries in a more male-dominated culture. Some would say even a macho culture. So that's 40, 80% of women being um, various in sexual assaults. Men have traditionally been in places of power and that place where power can be abused or as Paul says there in First Thessalonians where they can t- wrong mm-hmm. or take advantage of another. And often because of their power they do it with impunity. Think of these biblical examples. I mean we have them in our world as well in our culture throughout history but think of this biblical example. David and Bathsheba. David, the king in the glory of his kingdom and the scripture tells us that he looked out. Well, we he didn't go to war, he looked out and saw a beautiful woman bathing and he used his power and influence to summon her, to take her, and, and then use her sexually. You know, how could Bathsheba have said no to King David? An abuse of power at the expense of a woman.
1: Well, one other example that is on, kind of on the other side, and, and this is just to kind of balance it out a bit, but we have the story in Genesis 39 of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And that story says that she came to him. She was obviously she was attracted to him. He was, he was handsome. And she came to him day after day, and she put her lures out there, and she said, you know, come lie with me, just little whispers, and, and what was his response? I want you to hear this. We're going to come back to it in just a sec. How could I do such a thing and sin against God? That's, those are his words. But eventually uh, she catches him by the, the coat and uh, he flees and she's got his coat there and she cries out, Rape! Rape! You see, false accusations. Isn't this a, a hard world to live in? I mean, it's complicated. And boy, we need wisdom sorting it out. But that, that's acknowledged in that, in that scene. Well, uh, I want to go to our third yeah, the third section here. Learn to control your body. And um, I it, it, Paul is saying this um, to those people there in, in Thessalonica, and, he's, and it's, it's to us as well. Learn to control your body. So how did Joseph control his body? This is something that um, it is it's so key to the whole thing. And... Uh, it has to do with his response. He didn't say to... We don't have it recorded that, oh, how could, I, how could I break the rules? And I don't want to be a rule breaker. And he didn't go that way. It had everything to do with his relationship with God. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What does that say? It says that he had a vital, living, personal relationship with the God of the universe that had made him and was in charge of his life. That's what it means. It's not about the rules. The rules are there to protect the vision, remember? The box, the beautiful picture we have. And um, so two weeks ago I shared a statistic, or some surveys that had been done on teens. And the teens that are able to follow the rules are not rule followers per se. There are, people, there are young people who have had an experience with the living God. If they have a personal relationship with God, they're able to stand up and say no to sexual temptation in a way that those who are just, you know, maybe, maybe in a youth group without that, without that connection or maybe you don't know who God is, uh, wouldn't be able to say no to. So uh, it has everything to do with the relationship. That's how you can control your body. Back to the picture on the box. Um, it, let, me, let me read this uh, admonishment from Paul one more time. Um, verse verse five or verse 4 says, Control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. See, they don't know God. They don't have that relationship. They're, they're just living out their feelings left and right. And what what Paul is is saying, you know, he, it, you could read that like he Paul is, you know, he's here. And we're going to talk about this quite a bit in the next few weeks. Um, he's here, and he's looking down on these low life, perverted pagans, right? You could read it that way, but that's not. If you read the whole context, that's not what you get. What you what you get is that Paul wants those people that are calling Jesus Christ their Lord to, through their sex life, whether they're single through celibacy or marriage through exclusive sexual intimacy with their spouse, to point towards the kingdom of God, to see the big picture on the puzzle. And that's what it means to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ.
2: You know, as we look at this picture, we recognize that a lot of you... It might have started out with a picture of beauty and hope, and it's been damaged. And today we want to acknowledge that for many of you, for many of us, this is not just statistics or stories. This is us. This is people, young and old, men and women who've been traumatized and wounded by the sexual aggression of someone else, maybe someone who used power to take advantage of them sexually. And if you have been a victim of this, it is not your fault. What is broken in relationships, even bad relationships can be healed in healthy relationships. What's broken in relationships could be healed in community. And that's the hope we speak of when we dare talk about this together. Could Pine Lake Covenant Church, could the Christian community be a place of healing and hope for people? A place where people experience the grace of Jesus Christ that meets Him right where they are in confusion and anger, as Mark talked about earlier, in pain and uncertainty. The word brings both that admonition to us, control your body, and the conviction and and comfort of knowing that God is with us in this, that he does not leave us Mm -hmm. in those broken places. He desires for us to find healing and hope. And so I just want to... um, encourage you if whatever this has stirred in your heart this morning, that the church desires to be a place where it's safe to share your story if you want. You don't have to share it. But if you want to share your story, that it's a safe place with a safe person to have others walk alongside with you. We have a ways to go in this way in Pine Lake Covenant, but let's not stop trying. Let's continue to walk towards people and provide safe places to really live out our value that it's okay to not be okay because God meets us in that place. And because of the sensitivity of this topic this morning, we're not going to have a Q&A time after the service. But I want to tell you and point you ahead to some options for healing. One of them you heard about in our announcements. Wednesday evening is a healing prayer service. Confidential, One-on-one, two-on-two praying teams can be there to pray with you, pray for you. I commend that to you. And if it's awfully hard to come by yourself, ask a friend to come with you. To come and receive the healing power of Jesus who meets us in prayer. I also want to encourage you that any of us on the pastoral team would welcome a chance to sit with you and hear your story to find that safe place where God can begin to bring healing to you. We may not have all the answers. We would have some counselors that we could refer you to for further um, support if that's what you need. But please take advantage of that. And I also want you to know that at the end of this series, God, Sex, and Life, on Sunday, February 17th, we're going to hold a conversation. Hmm. Walking Toward Healing... And that might be a place where you can come and share your story, hear from others, a safe place where this conversation can be open. That's three weeks from today. Also out in the welcome area, there are some resources, some spaces that you can, some books, some websites, um, the National Sexual Abuse Hotline number, places where you can find hope now. Don't walk this in isolation. Don't just settle into a place of, I'm the victim. Because your identity is that you're the beloved of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your identity is that he wants to bring hope and healing to you. Mm -hmm. And you can cooperate with that as you walk towards sexual wholeness. So that the picture becomes not a broken one, but a beautiful one again. Pointing to the redemption of Christ. This is our prayer for you. And I just want to close with this scripture. It's at the end of Paul's letter to 1 Thessalonians where he says this to the people. So receive this. Receive this blessing over you. Paul writes, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And hear this promise. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Mm As we close this time this morning, you're going to have time to come for prayer if you'd like this morning. There'll be prayer people up here at the front to pray with you. You don't even have to explain anything. Allow them to just pray and ask God's presence to be with you and maybe to speak this scripture over your life. I invite you to pray with me now. Lord, we thank you. That you gave us the gift of sexuality for beauty and wholeness and to point to a picture of knowing you fully. And yet, God, we recognize that in so many ways it's been broken and shattered by things we've done and by things that have been done to us. And we thank you, God, that you're a God who sanctifies. You're a God who will promise to do what you said you'd do. To present us, spirit, soul, and body, blameless in your sight. I pray for all of us who are on this journey towards sexual wholeness. Mm -hmm. That you would meet us in our places of need. That the community around that you've given us in your church would be part of the healing that you intend. And as long as it takes, Lord, we will hold to that promise that you are faithful and you will do it. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
1: Amen.